Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to Open Journal and to episode 208. I hope you're having a great week. Hope things are going well for you out there. Really delighted to be back this week. As we lead up to uh, Time to Talk Day, uh, kind of led by Time to Change and with involvement from some kind of local and national minds, there's a, a real focus on, on us having conversations and on a range of different things as well. And I think uh kind of the idea i guess of these themed days and of time to talk as well is something i maybe come back to next week i think there's kind of a brief bit i'd really like to go into around around that and i think i'll i'll wait and see how how the day goes what kind of happens kind of locally nationally and online and stuff like that so we'll we'll have a little bit of a talk about time to talk day next week um and i'm also going to pick up on the mental health blog awards as well which are coming back again this year so it'll be the fourth year this year so a couple of things to to kind of look out for for next week this week um i'm absolutely delighted to have hannah back on the podcast um i think this is second time possibly third i think it might be third i'm not sure i feel like that's something i probably should know (laughs) (laughs) um but it was absolutely amazing to sit down and to talk with hannah again uh, get a bit of a catch up as to kind of where she is um, and also have a few discussions around kind of recovery treatments a bit about the workplace as well and how those things can feed into and are part of our, our mental health and our well-being um, I also want to say a massive thank you to Hannah for for jumping in last minute to kind of fill a spot um, as always I think I don't know I don't know what it's like on other podcasts um, but there are times there have been a number of times when unfortunately i've had guests that aren't able to make it as we've planned or scheduled um and sometimes that's because they're planned and scheduled so far ahead um and other times it's because people are are talking about stuff that they're currently experiencing and going through and at certain times they're comfortable to speak about those and at other times they're not um so i was really grateful that hannah jumped in very much last minute um to to kind of be a guest this week but it was an absolutely amazing result because I really enjoyed sitting down and, and speaking to Hannah and getting a bit of a catch up and um, we spoke kind of much longer than this recording so it was really nice to just have a conversation with her as well and I think for me that's a, a again as I've said before uh, it's a big part of, of this podcast for me it's it's having these conversations but advocating people go away and have their own conversations and many of you will know there are other mental health well-being related podcasts that approach these conversations and these topics in a range of different ways um so also kind of a, a mention for some of those guys as well that are doing some absolutely amazing work with 
mental health and well-being podcast so do look out for some of those conversations as well uh but for this week uh, a massive thank you to hannah for coming on and sharing her insights and experience uh i hope you enjoy it and as always if you'd like to become a guest yourself you can find out more information on the website which is openjournalbc.com so you can go there and find out uh, all the information about becoming a guest but thank you so much for downloading subscribing and listening to this episode i really hope you enjoy it and i look forward to speaking to you again very soon so this week, uh, I'm welcoming Hannah back to, to the podcast. We've got a very impromptu uh, kind of setup today. So a uh, huge thank you from me to you for, for jumping in this week. Um, but it's also a really good opportunity for us to, to kind of pick up on a conversation we had probably quite some time ago now. So kind of how are you at the moment? What's going on for you um, at the moment? Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Way too big a question. Yeah, Way too big a question. Uh, how how is today going for you? <laughs> that is the biggest question you could have possibly asked. Uh, well, first, it's an absolute pleasure. Please don't thank me. You know I love doing things like this, especially with you. Um, so please don't thank me. Um, I'm okay. I'm considerably considerably better than last time I came on Open Journal. I think loads has happened. Um, I can't actually quite remember the timing of it, but I think actually when we last spoke. I'd been misdiagnosed and I hadn't started treatment yet and things like that. So from that sort of perspective, things have really evolved and I've really evolved. But day to day, it's still very up and down. I was having this thought literally lunchtime today where I was thinking, okay, you know, yesterday, really positive day, felt really, really good. Today I woke up and I felt it straight away, that tight chest. And I thought, oh, here we go. And you just sort of know um so yeah i'm well but day to day it's up and down management is probably the best way to describe it Mm, i think it's um like a weird period as well because i think probably the last time was maybe like a year and a half ago i think um and then i'm sort of thinking oh that's a huge amount of time but then also realizing that massively overlaps with kind of our whole covid situation Mm. um so it's I guess it's hard to to gauge the different places that people are at the moment but I think particularly at the start of the year I don't know whether this overlaps with with your experience but I've really found kind of the the Mondays and the Tuesdays really difficult because it's um sort of it feels like nothing is really happening in the evenings or the weekends you can't really do much so Mondays in the start of the week just feel like quite a a lot of effort is required for those at the moment um and i wonder if that's kind of a bit of an overlap into some of the things you're mentioning yeah do you know you're absolutely right i haven't really thought about it from that sort of perspective and i think that's why yesterday shocked me a little bit in a way because i was like oh why has this been such a good day (laughs) this this is unusual what what's happened here have I done something differently Mm -hmm. um and the truth is that I hadn't I just had a really productive day at work and I was in a great mindset a much better mindset that I hadn't been in for a long time but that came after a real dip of shit actually like Mm -hmm. I felt really crap for a few days and then suddenly and it was a Monday of all days where I woke up sparkling thinking yeah brilliant I feel like a normal person today um and then I'm sort of put back into reality today but I can enjoy those days when I have them I'm grateful for them when I do yeah I think it's uh it's a really difficult time and people are affected in such different ways at the moment it's hard to it's hard to gauge isn't it but I know when we uh you kind of touched on it when we spoke last time you had kind of diagnosis is diagnoses um kind of uh going on in different situations where some things were kind of less easy to identify and define and um there's been a little bit of a journey there so how how's kind of that that diagnosis and that sort of side um been more recently for you um well firstly in in my experience actually getting the right diagnosis has been unbelievably helpful because it it put me on the path of different treatments that I probably wouldn't have been able to access otherwise and from that perspective it's been amazing Mm. um and I I definitely had that moment where 
you know, you're sitting in that room and you are diagnosed and everything suddenly made sense. The last, it must have been about 18 years, had just, it all just clicked into place and it just made sense. And it made, it was so validating. Absolutely cannot tell you how validating that was. But I mean, I first went to the doctors to do with my mental health when I was seven. Um, and that was like, you know, Hannah, Hannah is an anxious child and she'll grow out of it. OK, well, now I'm I'm 25 in a couple of weeks and I'm very much still in it. Thanks. Um, so that that didn't then help when I then went back to the doctor, you know, years later. God, I must have been, I think, 18 or something. Mm. And it's I, then I'm diagnosed with depression and anxiety. But they had no interest then in looking into my previous history or even my medical records or anything. So the doctor's like, OK, um, I can't refer you. Here is the telephone number of a, a therapy service, but you have to self-refer. So straight away, I'm like, OK, well, I'm not doing that. Um, and I I leave the surgery not much better off, really. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, I did make that call. I became desperate a few months later, did make that call, had to do a questionnaire to see essentially if I qualified for for therapy sessions, which thankfully I did. And I went for six weeks of NHS therapy, um, just plain old talking therapy. Um, and then I had a breakdown. So that was ideal. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was terrible, actually, if I'm really honest. You know, when my NHS therapist discharged me, she cried because she knew that I wasn't done with treatment mm-hmm. and that I wasn't well, but that she couldn't offer me any more than she already had because unfortunately that's how it worked so Mm. literally the week I finished that therapy um like I say I had a breakdown and it was absolutely dire started medication for a bit came off that because I had an allergic reaction um I've had a lot of luck (laughs) with my treatment um so after that to be fair I was a bit better for a bit after that god knows why just peaks and troughs I suppose um and then things got really bad, like not breakdown bad, but really bad um, trigger warning for Emmet. But I was being sick every day because my anxiety was so high and I had no idea what to do about it. Absolutely no idea. You know, this therapy that I'd been having, I'd been talking about things with an absolutely wonderful, lovely lady. Her name was Peggy. She was brilliant. Um but she was perhaps a bit on the emotional side Um, and she'd sit and she'd cry with me and I'd talk about it and Mm. then I'd leave and I'd go to work and it would all just be sitting there really yeah still there yeah just sitting at the surface so anyway in the end um, I was really really struggling at work and thankfully it was actually my boss at the time who recommended a therapist to me who had been very helpful for him, a local lady, and it was private. And I just said, look, I'm willing to find out more because I'm at this point now, you know, I can't keep being physically sick every day Mm. and not being able to do anything, essentially, you know, couldn't focus on anything at work. I was crying all the time. I was so unwell. Um, So I went to see her, amazing lady. I still see her now. And that was in... I think 2017, early 2017. Um, and as like in that first session, as soon as she saw me, she was like, okay, you've been misdiagnosed mm. your whole life. She said, it's so clear you have complex post-traumatic stress disorder and you need trauma treatment. That is why nothing has worked. Um, and my immediate reaction was, you are absolutely joking. I was like, there's no way that you are labelling me with the same diagnosis that war heroes have Mm -hmm. you know there is no way that I'm in that bucket with those people I've never done anything like that or worthy of that um 
and it took a long time but she was she really um helped sort of validate my experiences that they were traumatic that they were something that I needed to face up to now and that's why they were causing me such problems um and then I started EMDR treatment so really without a PTSD diagnosis I probably wouldn't have access to EMDR which is a trauma specific therapy so from that perspective my you know my correct diagnosis has absolutely changed my life for the better that sounds it's it's interesting to hear that side isn't it of um kind of the misdiagnosis I guess we often or I feel like there's often people that I've spoken to that struggle to get the diagnosis that they want or feel is appropriate yeah um but to be in that situation where you're not from that kind of you're not asking for that re-diagnosis you're not seeking that out you're just kind of looking for different support yeah and as part of that have that kind of discovered must have been quite a like you say quite a shock at the time to to really have to rethink and reevaluate kind of a lot of the a lot of the activities and the work that you'd done up till then of maybe that was useful but it was useful in a different way to how I was applying it because I didn't know this this side (laughs) yeah yeah you're absolutely right um I wasn't somebody who went into my doctor's office knowing pretty much what was wrong with me and just wanting the confirmation of it essentially or the right treatment for it I had no idea um I absolutely believed that I was suffering from depression and anxiety and I was but it was under a much wider umbrella you know there were loads of other symptoms going on that I just thought were part of it I just thought okay that must be what it's like to have depression that must be what it's like to have anxiety and actually then to sit there like I remember with that therapist her almost giving like a tick list almost of the symptoms and how that might affect you day to day and I was going through and I was like yep 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 to everything she was saying and that was hugely validating um but I yeah you're right I don't think it's generally the usual experience for people Mm. it does it it kind of makes you and it's it's me taking it off in a direction really rather than necessarily what, what you've spoken about but I guess the importance of of having those spaces where those conversations can happen uh, are so important to kind of build up that understanding, that confidence, that language um, around kind of what we're experiencing. Because so often, and again, not saying this was your experience, because it it might not have been, but we're left with really limited time with a a GP or with a counsellor um and you kind of I feel often we're we're driven to what's kind of the first thing and what's the main thing that I think is the main thing and that's what I've got to focus on and that sort of sets everything in motion based on those first initial things that you've expressed which for some people might have just been kind of the first things that pop into their head as they're having that conversation and not necessarily the most kind of important or the the thing that affects them the most as part of their experience but because we're so limited with our opportunities we for most people again I I feel like I have peer-to-peer conversations now I feel like this is a peer-to-peer conversation um we have uh a lot of people won't have those conversations with peers with friends with family about Mm. stuff that they're struggling with or affected by until it is a crisis and then it is very kind of purpose and task orientated rather than just hearing what's going on which is I imagine when when you're in that um, later service when you're talking about kind of that that next counsellor or therapist um, they've given you a bit more time and you can talk and that's how they've been able to kind of identify the the PTSD and, and, and talk through um kind of some of the symptoms that they're recognizing that are just I guess not missed but just not identified at all with a lot of our early conversations absolutely you're absolutely right I could not agree with you more and I think you know even more so is that even when you are sitting there with a professional you might not tell them everything straight away even in one session you know 
you get 15 minutes with your doctor like you say I was never going to tell him everything there and then in that first conversation with him I told him probably a couple of the symptoms that I was experiencing and they were visible you know when I went into his office that day I was absolutely sobbing and sobbing it was very obvious that I wasn't feeling good (laughs) Um, but like you say there was no conversation about actually anything else around that it was a young lady has come into my office crying her eyes out telling me that she can't focus she hasn't stopped crying for weeks she's depressed and that's what I meant earlier when I said actually if they'd looked at my medical records and they'd looked at my history they'd see straight away you know I was on the child protection register until the year 2000 it's on my medical record surely that would have raised a question um Mm. but they didn't look um you know I'm not criticizing the National Health Service because I love it and I'm grateful for every day but in my experience there is so much work to be done in the mental health sector Mm. the NHS because and really I'm evidence of that you could say you know I know for a fact and that's why I'm so passionate about this particularly I really can't help but wonder if when my parents did take me to the doctor when I was seven my dad remembers me having flashbacks at seven years old Mm. could I have been diagnosed and treated then or diagnosed then and treated a bit later so that I wouldn't then have gone into my 20s and have everything come crashing down you know I just can't help but wonder what would have happened if those conversations in more depth had happened earlier and where I'd be now. It's so it's so hard to it's impossible. Well, I guess for us, it feels impossible to to know, because I remember having conversations with people years ago about um, uh, not young people's mental health children's mental health which is what we're kind of touching on when you're speaking about sort of being seven and around those sort of ages and I remember hearing them talk about um children harming themselves or having certain actions and behaviors and I remember thinking isn't there an element of there just being a child and you're overly reading into that and it's not until now when you start to hear more people's stories and I've got a few friends that are teachers that teach that age group that so you hear a bit more of a um a bit more of a well-rounded explanation of what's happening mm-hmm. um and you can see that there are clear signs where um children are are seemingly unable to and it's my language um are, are seemingly unable to to process certain things and there are really visible signs that yeah. because they're not able to process it they can't hide that fact yeah um also there's less shame why should they hide it yeah yeah and it just feels like because they're not able to hide it surely it it feels to me I'm like isn't that easier than to identify can't surely you can see that that action is happening because as you say there's no shame it's not hidden that's a really good time to identify stuff and to try and put some support in place and and work something out rather than which is the case for most people I think essentially you are left and just go it's not a crisis they will phase yeah. through it yeah. which is essentially like you say the stigma takes hold and they hide it yeah um it just it's really hard because I feel very much on the periphery of, of young people's mental health but it always seems like there are things that are quite clear and obvious that could be really really useful um but I, I'm also aware that it is a really difficult time. There's a lot going on for for children and young people in a range of different areas. And, and sometimes it is a case of um, certain things are to do with, you know, their, their growth and their development. But yeah, I, I do wonder how many we are just kind of or we have in the past left to essentially kind of work it out for themselves or, or get to crisis point. Yeah. I would like to think that there's more um more open discussion by by people like yourself about their experience um as a young person that would encourage other people and other young people to feel confident to speak about that at the time Mm. and and kind of seek some form of support and I guess that's where we see 
like places like cams that are overrun with um, requests and, and need for support um, that that is starting to happen I feel like those conversations are, are getting there but often and again I think you probably have kind of echoed this to some extent um, is that that's kind of it's often based around depression and anxiety and not anything yeah. else yeah I think there's a I don't think people actually realize that children can have severe mental illness mm. you know it's not always anxiety um and actually I think quite often anxiety isn't often just anxiety and I hate saying just anxiety because anxiety is terrible but actually quite often it's not just that on its own it's very often a larger part of of something else a much wider condition that if left can become very serious but I think the difficulty also is that even if mental ill health in a child is acknowledged like it was for me at seven the treatment options are quite limited so for example the treatment that has worked best for me as an adult is EMDR like I said now as a seven-year-old child I couldn't have had EMDR I probably wouldn't have been put on medication I might have had counselling but would it have helped mm. so actually you know it's easy for me to well criticise in a way and say why wasn't I treated sooner but actually could I have been treated sooner I don't know and I've had to sort of make peace with that that I wasn't treated sooner and that's that's why <laughs> that's why I'm here now really but yeah I think people just people don't understand that children can be depressed like why mm. would a child be depressed what what would a child have to be anxious about um but also it's the way it presents as well it's firstly the understanding that yes it can happen but my anxiety as a young child was largely based around stomach problems I had stomach aches all the time like all the time um aside from more of like the usual stuff not wanting to go to places and being emotional and lashing out and things like that mm. but actually I didn't lash out much but I was emotional um you go to your doctor as a seven-year-old girl with a stomach ache you're not taken particularly seriously mm. it's so like you said it's such a a difficult thing to to talk through and even like you say from our point of view of having experienced mental health illness to reflect back on and go well, what could be put in place what would be beneficial it's a a really difficult topic and I think yeah that's sometimes where the like the importance I guess of, of specialist comes in to to be able to identify what what's most relevant but the importance of of conversations like this to to open it up and to show it's not always a straightforward answer it's not always a linear recovery it's yeah. you know it's not always the thing you think it is yeah. um and it's it's a gradual journey and I think I I still I still talk to people that are very much believers in the um I call them like 100 percenters um like it's um I've I've now got recovery I'm not affected by that at all and I never will be again um and, oh, and it's nice. yeah I mean it's it, I find it really interesting because that's very much not my view but mm. it's it's interesting to kind of hear people speak about things in in that way um because I think I always think of it as a like this is something that will always affect me I just hope it affects me less and I understand it more yeah um but I don't know like that that's just how I think about it has that supported my recovery yes so does that make me want to believe it more rather than like <laughs> could 100% like recovery be possible maybe but it's not really something I've ever aimed for so oh, yeah it's it's just different approaches I think and, and different different ways people take take that on board yeah you know what uh, that's really interesting because when I finished my first lot of EMDR because mm. um, I didn't just have one sort of stint if you like I've had two and now I'm having like telephone um like chats with my therapist basically where I'm like oh I discovered this and she's like oh um 
But my first lot of EMDR was about 15 weeks of intense trauma therapy. <laughs> it was horrific, but amazingly helpful. Um, and after I finished those sessions, I felt so much better and I was able to do more with my life than I had for a really long time. And I was a bit like that. I was a bit like, oh, I'm fine now. Mm. Uh, this is me now, forever. This is who I am. I've recovered. I'm fine. Wrote a book about how I'd recovered and then got really ill again. So it's really interesting to sort of open up the conversation about that, because as somebody who was a bit of a 100 percenter, yeah. you, I was absolutely proved wrong. <laughs> um, but I'm also aware that PTSD is a complex beast and I'm actually doing a, a child psychology degree currently. Um, so it's quite interesting. And I have conversations with my partner about this often and just internally in my head <laughs> about how, yes, I'm much better. Will I ever fully recover? I'm not sure because the impacts of developmental trauma mean that my brain is literally different. Like mm. the wiring, if you like, so they yeah. say, is different. For me to make a full recovery, I have to unlearn and rewire everything that my brain knows. Can I do that in a lifetime? I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know. But right now, I have no idea. I'm just trying. Oh, that's interesting, though, because, um, like, in my mind, I'm now thinking that um, that's, that, uh, that kind of approach or mindset is that, almost like yes <laughs> you can become a hundred percenter um but it takes longer than a lifetime but it is possible which is is interesting because it's making me think it would that change i don't i don't know that that would change what i what i think or what my approach is i don't know that i'm i don't think i'm restricting myself based on i'm gonna live an expected amount of time um <laughs> But then I'm also aware of kind of part of that journey has been kind of having or expecting that period of time to be much shorter because of kind of my experience with depression. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. It's a different approach, it's different mindsets. And I think it's not about um, kind of one being right or wrong or it isn't to me. Um, I think it's exploring the different ways that people think and process the idea of 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 symptoms of illnesses of diagnosis and of recovery um and there are very very different journeys like a lot of them fit into a similar sort of mold um so but there are a lot of different ones yeah it's so individual every brain is different every person is different every person experiences everything differently you know there's no one right or even wrong way of doing things I think it's self-awareness and knowing yourself is one of the most important things in my experience anyway that's what I've learned and I'm sort of basing it on okay I'm not 100% recovered because I'm just not but I'm a lot better than I was I've made a lot of pro progress with a lot of treatment but I know I'm not the best that I can be because I just know I just feel mm. it and I know there are days where I am that person I just need to have them more frequently and that's sort of where I am now it's like I say self-awareness is a massive part of it of me knowing that if I carry on working hard at recovery I'll have more recovered days than more tough ones hopefully mm. um I'm if I'm really honest with you, I don't really expect to ever be 100% recovered. You can probably tell. Um, but I know I'm not quite there yet. My work isn't done and I will mm. continue to do it until I feel I'm at a point where, you know, the other day I said to my partner, I kind of had a realisation where I was like, yes, I've made a lot of progress. Yes, I'm doing well now. But if this is me forever... I'm not happy with that 
Mm. I'm still having a lot of those bad days. I've been having sleep disturbances up until very recently. You know, I'm by no means recovered. I'm not happy for this to be who I am now until the end of time. Mm. And that is where that extra work comes in. And I have these realisations often where I'll be a bit sort of dormant for a bit and I'll be just trying to get through. And then it's like I wake up one morning and I think, okay, there's more. I've got more to give and I'll find it from somewhere and I'll put some more hard work in, try new things, have different treatments, whatever it might be. And that cycle is continually ongoing. That's really, it's really, I, I try not to say interesting because I feel like I say it every time I start a response. Um, but that is really interesting because I think <laughs> um, you you sort of talk of like the, uh, like those, the, 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 the down or the in-between times where there isn't progress being made. Um, and I, I, this is kind of something that's kind of come to me particularly with the, the COVID situation at the moment is that um actually we we as humans we really do need those those breaks yes. for for just stuff to process inside of us and i don't know enough about science or the mind to tell you exactly what's happening but <laughs> stuff's happening um and it just takes time for some of that to happen and i think of um i know when i want to say like probably the first couple of uh lots of therapy that I had um I would say they weren't particularly useful they didn't feel useful at the time it was more like sort of I don't know like six months later yeah where it felt like oh I'm now kind of picking up and using and, and benefiting from that yeah and sometimes there is that bit in between like you say where it sort of feels like actively I guess with not doing as much but um there's a lot of other stuff happening and at times that can fatigue us probably quite a lot mentally and yes. we're not really aware of why that is god you're so right I um uh, yeah i just i think that kind of comes in a lot more often than we think and i'm still kind of getting my head around actually this probably happens most of the time um <laughs> But yeah, I think particularly when you were talking through there, it's almost like, oh, I have this break and I doesn't feel great about like this bit of time. And then I get a bit of wind and I can go again. It's yeah. like, well, that that is also part of, in my mind, um, <laughs> that is also kind of part of that journey, though, isn't it? Because it's allowing yourself time for whatever the thing is that you did before to sort of take some effect and to settle and be part of, of you before you move on to to the next thing as well. So I think they are important spaces i guess in our in our journeys as well you're so right i could not agree more and that is something i've really had to sort of adjust to because i really have a tendency to if i sort of discover something that i think is going to help me or try something that seems to be helping me i go in all guns blazing and i'm right i do this now this is part of my routine this is the therapy i have Mm. this is what I eat I do yoga three times a week you know and I'm very rigid with myself and I go in all guns blazing like right you're going to recover now and I'm very sort of I put a lot of pressure on myself and inevitably it doesn't work because that's not how brains work and it's certainly not how trauma works but all the time I felt I wasn't working on it Mm. I was failing I was letting it happen if you know what I mean like I it's almost like I was accepting it by not working on it Mm. and actually I learned a lot about this quite recently actually sort of back end of last year now I've made all these changes you know I've given up alcohol I've given up smoking I get outside more I started yoga I'm writing more which I love um and I had more therapy even and all this stuff and I'm like why am I now worse because I'm doing all this stuff um and it was very very frustrating you give yourself headspace to let things come up and when you do they will so actually whilst I felt healthier before say six months ago Mm. I wasn't healthier you know that trauma was all there I just wasn't facing it it was just deeper down if you like because I didn't have the space to actually work with it and now I do and of course it's all come up yeah I think that's the one of the things isn't it I think you you kind of 
um, yeah, really articulately have got across that that idea of just because it's not visible or it's not affecting you at that moment in time, it doesn't mean it's it's kind of not there. From an individual perspective, it helps me to do what I need to do to be well and to meet my own needs. And, you know, coming back to that self-awareness I spoke about before, ultimately it helps me implement all of those things because I've got the support to do it. I'm not ashamed. Mm. Um, And that is massive. You know, I've got the space and the resources to do that. And I just so wish that more people had that. Yeah, I think it's it's really uh, it's hard to say because I feel like we are we're seeing a positive move towards that but then mm. I'm also quite aware that then I feel like naturally because of the the work that I do I'm more exposed to those people that are starting to take that journey Me too. Onto, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's like that's quite a deceptive view to have because actually it is much changing or is it just that I'm speaking to the people that are changing yeah I'm with you um, so that it's 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 really difficult to gauge because there are days when I feel like oh there's loads of stuff happening there's loads of progress and then you kind of inevitably go online and see something and you're like why is everyone talking this way (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 absolutely right I think we're we're you and I are very lucky um and there will be more people out there like us who are you know advocating for this change for people like you and I for other people with mental ill health um I've decided well not really decided but through the help of others and having this support network I've started thinking more of my PTSD as like a chronic illness Mm -hmm. and when you think of it that way it really helps you to explain how you're feeling and how that affects your life and also for others to understand it and that's I think where I'm really lucky with my employer because they understand that actually it is essentially a chronic illness um, and life with a chronic illness is hard and I have to do things differently and I have to adapt to things you know I've worked at places in the past where it's been like yeah let's all go and do an escape room for Christmas and I'm like nope I'll be sitting in the pub on my own and that's absolutely fine and you know <laughs> there's loads of judgment around that um mm-hmm. And even just having conversations with colleagues internally and me putting my foot down and saying, no, I can't do the escape room because I have post-traumatic stress disorder. And then they, they're they like, oh, OK. And then they don't want to ask any questions. <laughs> um, you know, holding space for each other is the best thing that we can do. And mm-hmm. I'd, I, I'd, I'd like to think if there are positives to be drawn out of the last year or so one of them would be that these kind of difficult conversations about um situations we feel more or less comfortable in for whatever reason um are happening more or people are more aware of differences that people have with regards to um i don't want to say preferences because i feel like that undermines what you've just said but kind of um in some instances preferences but also symptoms or illnesses as well yeah um and i i hope that 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 kind of recognition doesn't disappear whenever we kind of return to a more a more traditional way of living um i mean it's it's still difficult now there are still i think there's a I don't know about your situation, but I've had conversations this year that have been a little bit um, kind of t- feel like you're testing the waters of relationships when you're you're talking about what you're prepared or happy to do and what you're not. Yeah. Um, but it's about kind of balancing those and understanding, you know, we're all going to have things that we agree or disagree on. And it's yeah. it's kind of what it, what is the basis of of your relationship with someone? Do you need to agree on everything? And I think that's that's probably one of the things I feel like that's a, a bigger conversation about kind of our, our, our a lot of people's belief that there is a right and a wrong and I think I'm yeah. more and more coming to that it's just it's all shades of grey um but yeah I think those those conversations are are happening at the moment and hopefully they'll they'll continue so like you say if you were to um disclose or just to mention as part of a conversation 
um, that you feel more or less comfortable with a certain activity that someone might feel comfortable enough to sort of ask oh is that something can we talk about that or or Mm. kind of take that forward rather than just going oh okay and then like leaving it there yeah yeah it's different boundaries isn't it everyone has different boundaries and you're absolutely right that is something that has really come out of this year you know lots of people I know um (laughs) I've heard lots of people like um in sort of their 20s talking about having conversations with their parents where their parents are like oh come over um (laughs) it's fine Uh, and um our generation are a bit more sort of like no (laughs) um and it's just it's things like that where those boundaries are implemented and people are much more comfortable with implementing their boundaries which I think is brilliant and I hope that sticks around um but also sort of going back to what you were saying I remember after the first lockdown or sorry during the first lockdown early Mm. last year um almost everybody that I was speaking to were making comments about how they almost couldn't believe the life that they lived before and how busy it was and how full on it was and how they were doing all this stuff all the time and how actually they quite as awful as it is clearly Mm. um, they really appreciated that they'd been given an opportunity to, to slow down in life and that that's something that they wanted to bring into their new life if you like sort of post pandemic and I really hope that people do because I feel that it's opened lots of people's eyes to the things in the world that we're not happy with or doing things in ways that we don't want to be doing them anymore and it's given people an opportunity to evaluate that and change it Um, and yeah much like you really I hope people stick to that and they keep their boundaries. Yeah I think it's uh it'll be an interesting one I think there's been I I wonder if it was around the same sort of time that first lockdown of of really hearing people talk about re-evaluating how yeah how they sort of spend their time and um we've got uh we've got neighbors that are are pretty much I don't know I don't think they've retired yet I think they're essentially kind of waiting out Covid and then just going to retire as soon as it's finished (laughs) um but they've decided they're going to re- kind of retire early they don't want to go back to to working and they're in a situation where they can do that and um I know I've got friends that are kind of reconsidering actually do I, is this really the job I want to do yeah. um I did kind that, of yeah. yeah just really questioning that um I don't know passion feels like the wrong word but is, is this the thing I want to spend my time doing is yeah. this where I want to invest myself and I think that's it's a really good time to evaluate that because you're, you're kind of being forced into into that sort of thought process but like you say actually I don't know about thinking about but seeing how how we live I think my big thing has been more so that um like trying to trying to pretend <laughs> that it's just normal and carry on working and I kind of got to like I want to say I think I even got to like October and I was like um um, because I'm not driving anywhere now I'm actually missing like those those mind breaks yeah of, like oh, I've got 20 minutes now because I'm going to drive from one place to another or, or whatever yeah. and I was like I'm just so tired because I'm not having those mental breaks that we would have had where it's like oh we've got to get up and um like I would have had to walk into another building to go to the toilet or or whatever <laughs> and it's like oh it's now just next door <laughs> it's, it's all those little door. things that are just yeah. very different and it's tr- trying to reevaluate, yeah how you work as much as what you do for work as well I agree but I've changed loads this year um and I think that's the one thing that the pandemic has given us so certainly me you know my healing journey has absolutely ramped up loads this year um but also like I moved house I got engaged I changed jobs I finally started doing the degree that I've been thinking about for the last five years you know it kicked me into action and as much as it is awful and I can't wait for it to for for it to end and I wish people hadn't died and weren't dying you know it's horrendous I think if there's one thing we can take from it it is that people are more aware of their well-being I think so I think you, you um like you say it's trying to find trying to find some positives in the year I think is a really important thing to do to 
to reflect on because it is a year when a lot has happened and like you say there's been some really good stuff with engagements and things like that as well that's really positive you don't want to think oh, I can't look back and be positive about that that's a massive yeah. thing um moving changing jobs I feel like you've ticked off quite a lot of the <laughs> the big things actually now now, now I'm thinking about it <laughs> <laughs> did you get engaged last year too yes yeah <laughs> when were you we were when were we I think we were around Easter time we were we were first lockdown engagement I think oh I was end of February just before the first yes. lockdown oh. so literally like engage ring on finger go party okay stay home for a year together and try not to kill each other excellent oh, insight goodness. into marriage good preparation right well I I've I feel like we should wrap up now and then have a wedding chat off. <laughs> <laughs> we have been going for a while, haven't we? I told you I would natter on. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's been really interesting to talk through, to hear a little bit more about um, kind of how things have been going for you more recently. And I just think, yeah, some really interesting conversations mm. to have and hopefully kind of prompts for other people to to reflect on and maybe have some of their own conversations as well. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about you, Hannah, and maybe some of the things that you do, where are the places that they could go to to find out about you? Um, best place is probably social media. Um, I do have a blog, but I don't update it often anymore, unfortunately. But it is called littlethoughtsblog.com or I'm Hannah Rainey on social media. Also, check out um, Amazon, Life on High Alert. CPTSD memoir published in 2019 awesome thank you so much for coming on Hannah especially last minute Uh, it's been a really enjoyable conversation I've really enjoyed it so hopefully we can maybe have another conversation in a slightly less uh less of a gap but more of a plan (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I think we did well without a plan (laughs) we did very well is, I don't, is it bad if it goes better without a plan? <laughs> Sometimes the best thing you can do is be a bit spontaneous. I wouldn't have been doing anything else this evening and it's been lovely. So if nothing else, I've really enjoyed it, even if no one else does. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope someone else does. <laughs> These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told her everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds. And the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it.